Hi, it's Grace from the CSC, and I'm here today with director and CEO of Quadrant Canatech, Rosie Mondin. Um, Rosie is a favorite amongst uh, the CSC um, team members, and uh, this is the first day I'm getting to meet Rosie. And um, yeah, how are you today? Good morning. Great. I feel great, but for the rain, excited for the Raptors. I kind of jumped on the bandwagon since I've been here a lot. So Go Raptors. Yeah, it's kind of insane downtown. I'm basically living out of a hotel downtown right in the midst of it all. So yeah, I've definitely got uh, washed up in the red fever. <laughs> How long have you been in Toronto for? I've been coming regularly on and off now since probably October-ish, um, most regularly this year. I feel like I'm here pretty much every other, every two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think so. I guess it's time to maybe get a condo here somewhere. Yeah, we'll be looking <laughs> at that next. We actually have a great deal with the hotel that we stay at, so nice. it's, it's become good. a nice second home. They treat us really, really well. I keep stuff here when I go home into Vancouver. So no, it's been a great receptive welcome to Toronto. I've really enjoyed it so far. Awesome. Yeah. And what brings you to Toronto? Well, for this time, we're in the middle of a merger, actually, with our company, with another company called World Class Extractions. So that's been bringing me out here a lot as we uh, work on that merger, finalize the merger, and also working on some um, deals that we have in the pipeline as we move forward with our extraction uh, equipment and facility sales and build-outs. Great. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that you also attended Lift & Co. Uh, Canada's largest cannabis conference held yeah. at the MTCC. Um, so how, what was your participation there? Well, I spoke on Saturday on a panel uh, related to investing, investing 2.0 and kind of what's coming next in the marketplace, especially with the advent of extracts, edibles and topicals coming out. And of course, that's the area that we work in. So I was just able to talk a lot about of what the uh, investing retail public should be looking for or at least our views on what, what could be happening. I mean, quite frankly, the whole um, legalization model really is going to come full force with this these new regulations coming about because we feel that really is the true industry as people move away from smoking dried marijuana product, cannabis products. So, um, yeah, you know, it's the markets are emotional. People can be emotional on it. So my message is always to people, just be patient. It's still a very, very new industry, and there's a lot of growth still to come. Um, lots of changes, things evolve very quickly in this space. So just, uh, you know, be patient was really my message when I was up on stage this weekend. Lyft was great. It just brings everyone together. It's always like a big reunion as well. And it's just, <clears throat> for me, so amazing to see how much it's grown over these past years. You know, we've been coming from the beginning. Uh, Lyft in Vancouver were the very early days before even it got commercialized. So the exponential growth that that conference has seen is quite phenomenal, actually, and just is a testament to where the industry is going. That's great. And for our viewers, um, for those of our viewers that don't know, um, could you talk a little bit more about what Quadrant Canatech does? Yeah, absolutely. So Quadrant Canatech, we came about, um, well, Quadrant in name in 2016, we became a reporting issuer, but it really started before that around 2014-15. Um, I'm a lawyer by trade, and I have a criminology background, and I've always been a proponent for legalization. Anytime someone would listen to me, I would, you know, tell them why uh, this plant, it's ridiculous that people are criminalized for using it. And I also am a consumer of cannabis. I have been my entire adult life. I'm not a big drinker. When and did you start um, consuming cannabis, do you think? Officially? After yeah. high school? <laughs> After high school, okay. I, I would say. Um, and you know, I, I would just dabble in it. Uh, of course, I spent a lot of time in university, which, uh, you know, brings a lot of drinking along with it. And, you know, I can drink, but it doesn't usually sit well with me. I don't know if I have some sort of allergy. <clears throat> but it's not even just about that 
not getting drunk. I just really, what I started uh, consuming cannabis and I just really liked how it just made me feel. It kind of would quiet my mind as my mind actually like can run 50 miles a minute. So I find that really, um, it, it depends on, on my mood and how I'm feeling, but it can quiet my mind. It can give me clarity. It can make me want to clean the house. Yeah. It can be meditative. It all depends on what cultivar or strain as people uh, know it to be. Um, so yeah, so I've always just been very <clears throat> open to talking about it. I've never really hide, hid my consumption. I thought, you know, I was a good um, advocate for it, given that, you know, I, I'm a professional, I'm career-oriented, I'm focused, I, I have a very well-balanced life, and I happen to consume cannabis. So it was just um, when I saw the whole uh, regulation changing to commercial model, and a lot of my friends who were growers were looking to convert over, I saw the opportunity to come into this um, professionally. Because again, I was also self-interested in seeing this legalized, because at the end of the day, you know, here I am as a professional lawyer and happened to enjoy consuming this product, and very cognizant of the fact that every time I did consume it, or offered it to a friend, or even, you know, purchased it for that matter, I was engaging in criminal activities. <clears throat> so, you know, with my professional designation and responsibilities that was always a hard pill to swallow yeah no so. I when I saw the criminology background and then that you were uh, that you went to law school mm-hmm. at University of Windsor right yeah it my was, sister yeah. just got accepted to University of Windsor yeah no so kidding she, yeah. well you know what I have nothing but amazing things to say about the University of Windsor uh, law school I chose it I was accepted into um, Windsor right away I was accepted into some other law schools as well and I won't mention which ones they are but really amazing ones in Canada as well and I uh, chose Windsor they had a, a great access to justice program yeah. so what that meant was in our law school it wasn't just us coming out of university with our LSAT marks and our undergrad degrees and that's it we had people in our class that actually had careers <clears throat> and so they brought different viewpoints to our discussion and debates in class which was really nice so we had police officers RCMP officers cool. um, a, a nurse a dentist I think there was a doctor in our class, so uh, some business people as well, and plus all of us, you know, undergrad students just coming out. So it was a really robust education. A lot of people in the law school were from other areas, um, so you were really forced to engage in the law school uh, environment and community, which was fantastic. And my girlfriend and I actually started a charity run. We called it, it was the 5K Run Walk, 10K Walk for charity. Uh, the Ambulance Chasers is actually what it was called, and it, I'm proud to hear that it's still going on to this day. Wow, mm-hmm. good for you. That's yeah. awesome. Um, and so I just, I want to just go back. So I just want to go back to, um, so we were talking previously about how Mondin is a an Italian last name. Yep. I'm also, I also come from an Italian background. Um, and I just find it, I just wanted to ask you um, just personally what it was like at a young age to be smoking cannabis and having it work for you to calm your mind. But you know, Italian families are more um, looked at being more conservative side. So well, how did, did that sit in your family? They didn't really know, obviously, because um, they don't understand it. It's only more recently, I think in around 2015, I brought my parents to a cannabis farm. I mean, I always started uh, telling them about it, of course, and trying to get my mom to use different products for her arthritis and stuff. But it, of course, it was always, you know, frowned upon, <clears throat> even though drinking was was open in our house. That was the other thing. Drink, it, things were always really open. So I never really saw drinking as a, a taboo it was, or nor would, did I want to do it outside in a parking lot because my parents were always very open. If you're going to do it, have it here at home with us and you know a little shot of liqueur at Christmas was a norm yeah um, as far as 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a very different, <laughs> I'm a bit of the black sheep in the family. I, I, you know, I'm not married, I didn't have kids, I'm very career focused. So I guess when they found out I was, uh, you know, in, enjoying cannabis, it wasn't a big surprise to them yes. at that point. Oh. I'm quite independent that way. <laughs> but my parents are very, very, very proud of me. They're very proud of what we achieved and they fully understand this now. Their friends are getting into this, you know, whether it's uh, through CBD topicals or they're actually ingesting in uh, ca uh, capsule form I mean they and, and that's the great thing for me is being in this industry and being from you know <clears throat> a conservative culture in this respect that I get to talk about it and educate now not only my family but the um, extended family and then they're talking to their friends about it so it's come from being that taboo thing to now they embrace it and I get calls from family members with questions about it so it's I just think cool. the change and openness to it is amazing that's really what it's all about why we come out and talk about it as much as we do is really to normalize it and say, don't be so scared about this. Like, you know, very, you know, educated uh, Canadians use this. Every socioeconomic class uses this product for a variety and myriad of reasons, whether it is medicinal and it absolutely has medicinal properties and should be used medicinally to those who use it therapeutically and those who use it completely recreationally. I mean, yeah. it's a plant and I've always been an advocate for the fact that we shouldn't uh, have restrictions around it, period. So I've never been a medical patient I've never been a license holder because I truly believe we should have access to it, of course, with rules, and we are in Canada. Um, so I'm really excited to see where the regulations will evolve. I was quite heavily involved with the working with government at all levels when the regulations came about, so I definitely have some policy writing underneath me as well in my advocacy. So when we started Quadrant, uh, well, it was called Soma Labs, it was really how this all started back in 2014-15, and at the same time I started um, an advocacy group called the Cannabis Trade Alliance of Canada, known as CTAC. Yeah. yeah, so that really um, is where we got our hands involved with working with the Liberal government um, just after the, well actually pre-election and then post-election. So I was involved with the task force that went around and looking for recommendations. I, I worked with the government, uh, with the bureaucrats, and I also worked quite heavily with the Senate <coughs> for a good month and a half before uh, when the debates were happening. I was called to the Senate to testify. So it's been quite a great road for me as far as wow. being policy and, and doing the advocacy side officially as opposed to standing on my soapbox, but at the same time also being able to focus on business and grow that forward into this great extraction space where everyone is finally kind of waking up to. And I've been, we, my whole team has been banging that drum since 2015. Public Entrepreneur Magazine chronicles a bold and exciting new chapter in the Canadian Securities Exchange story. With over 500 public companies and share turnover measured in the billions, we're proud of our reputation as the exchange for entrepreneurs. Public Entrepreneur Magazine gets you up close and personal with a focus on topical stories and interviews with the charismatic entrepreneurs that make things happen. If you haven't already subscribed, be sure to get your free copy available on the CSE.com. And we're back with Rosie Mondine. Uh, Rosie, we were just talking about why oil extraction instead of flour. Sure, so this is again going back to 2015 and it was the MMPR and you had to apply for a license whereby everything was vertically integrated. So if you wanted to sell a product, you had to be a cultivator as well. That's the way the application was set up. 
Um, we knew early days that we wanted to go into oil extraction because quite frankly, we, you know, the way cannabis was being moved around in the legacy market was basically duffel bags of weed. So either big garbage bags or duffel bags. Do you actually see duffel bags? Oh or yeah, was yeah, yeah. In the underground oh, market, that's how business was transacted. <laughs> you got to remember it was all illegal, right? So yeah. you had to do whatever they could in hockey bags and moving product around that way. And, wow. you know, Ziploc bags and uh, those freezer dried uh, sealed bags was the way it was all done. Um, and But knowing it was going to a commercialized model where this was going into the public and it was going to be a legitimate business, moving product around in duffel bags wasn't going to cut it, right? Especially since we were moving to a framework that it was all focused on public health. So we looked at that and thought, well, we've got to think about a few things here. You've got to think about uh, shelf stability of the product because flour does degrade after a while if it's not... Uh, taken care of properly and cured properly and stored properly. Um, so there's transportability, there's shelf stability, but most importantly too, it's the ability to test and standardize the product. So we just saw going forward that it would move eventually to extracts. It just made sense. Mm -hmm. In public health, it made sense. In a commercialized bit model and business, it just made a lot of sense. So we decided to go down that route early days. What we did is we took advantage of a gap in the regulations in that under the um, MMAR regulations that were the personal production regulations, there was a case that came, that came out, it was called Smith. And Smith allowed um, patients to convert their dried marijuana product into another uh, type of derivative product. So that meant that patients weren't forced to smoke. So they could go to their designated grower and have that converted into an oil form. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we worked with a licensee to put our machine up under that license so that we could actually work our machine and make sure it did what it was supposed to do. So that was really early days. So that's where we were able to focus on getting the crude out using our CO2 machine, the first one that we announced called the Boss. And then also by having set up this lab, we were also able to work out the bottlenecks and figure out what was all the ancillary equipment that would also be needed to make that great value add product. What happened was when we put together our first laboratory, we brought in a piece of extraction equipment. It was a CO2 uh, extractor. And it literally, I mean, we had to take down walls to bring it in. It took about three months to get the thing operational. And you quite literally needed to be a PhD to run this thing. Again, knowing growers and knowing uh, business, we just thought, well, this is crazy because the whole point of this is you want it to be easy and you really want to get uh, these people to uh, their ROI back as quick as possible. So my, one of my business partners basically set out to make a better, faster, more efficient machine. Mm -hmm. He had uh, worked with CO2 for at least 15 years before that. He's worked on botanical um, extracts. He's worked on extraction of azostanthin, which is an extract from algae that is high, uh, one of the highest antioxidants known on the planet. And so he set out to build something that turned out to be something that is incredibly efficient, uses a whole lot less real estate than traditional equipment, and a functionality that you should just be a technician and you're able to run it. You can run up to three of our machines, the CO2 machine, the Boss, with um, just your iPhone. It's called the Boss? The Boss. Yeah, <laughs> that's our first, the first machine we announced that we came out with. So that the did Boss is Did you name it yourself? Actually, you Shane did. Okay. <laughs> and I loved it. So that's I was awesome. good with that. Um, so we have the Boss, which has been out on the market for a good year now. We first initially showcased it in 2017, but we've made a lot of uh, upgrades to it since then. 
And that's the thing, is because we actually, we work with growers, we respond to their needs. So we continuously are nonstop working on our machinery to continue to keep it upgraded and to, con- to continue to have it on the cutting edge. So that's what really- are, so what, are, what are some of the demands that growers are looking for from an extraction machine? Sure, so the efficiency, of course, is important. Not using a lot of energy. We've actually made ours smaller, so the footprint is quite small compared to the other ones. So we take up less real estate in your facility. We've removed the need for a compressor. Um, There's just so many great features to it. And like I said, it's also remotely monitored. The other thing is things shift really, really quickly. So whereas just last summer, you know, being able to do 500 pounds, say, of throughput on your machine was sufficient. Um, now they're looking at two to three thousand, up to five thousand pounds in a CO2 machine of capacity in a month. So things evolve really quickly. So since we announced the boss, we've also now announced a big boss, which is a co-solvent machine that's uh, three vessels of 150 liters each. The vet, the boss original one is a 45 liter vessel. Um, we also have we do um, pre-processing processes that allow for a greater capacity in our equipment as well, and and great, makes really great uh, efficiency as the solvent flows through. And then we also announced uh, two other machines in the Beast family of equipment. And that actually we had staff vote on a name. Oh, okay. We were looking at the Mammoth and then the Beast. And uh, <laughs> I had both of my business partners with names. And I said, no, we got to take this to staff. Let's, let that, let's have some fun with this. So the Beast went out. And the Beast is our ethanol extractor. So right now uh, in Langley, we're working on what's well, actually almost done is our ethanol Beast. And then we've announced to uh, Big Beast, which is the capacity is 5 million kilos on an annual basis. And then we'll have an in-between model in there as well. Wow. Yeah, so we're excited to start putting these out and, and get them operational in some of these farms. So the Beast, for example, the Big Beast, <clears throat> the ethanol extractor is primarily for hemp. Okay. So we'll be going down into the U.S. to do hemp extraction of CBD. We're not really interested in touching THC just quite yet, just because it's not uh, national across the country. But CBD is obviously an easy entrant now mm-hmm. with the Farm Bill having passed and with each state putting out their uh, hemp regulations to deal with the Farm Bill. So we have some... Um, interest and we sh- when I get home I should be papering some of these up and we'll be uh, down in the US before long so I'm really excited about that that's on the hemp side and then we're continuing to work with strategic partners here in Canada to set up the extraction facilities for which we'll have a financial interest in them so ultimately the end goal it would be to do contract manufacturing that's really really wo- where we want to be it's something I have been saying since day one that's why we've operated labs as well so that we know how to make excellent product all the way through we also have a subsidiary that's been working on vape pens since 2015, and we work with manufacturers directly in China on that. We make sure the pens work efficiently with our processes and our oils, and um, I think we have some of the best pens in Canada, to be honest with you, and we've been working on them for quite a few years. So I'm really excited to be able to start uh, getting our intel and know-how out there and working with clients and getting their products out. That's great. And uh, just lastly, um you're seen as quite an advocate for um, the recreational use of cannabis in Canada <clears throat> and also can be seen on the capitalist side just because you have the business and you're you're obviously looking to make revenue and how do you balance that those two kind of well, positions. You know, I don't I think these actually really go hand in hand because at the end of the day the whole idea was to legalize. We want to get this product out to the masses. So now it's a matter of 
making sure that the regulations reflected in such a way that businesses can carry on, that patients can continue to have access for this product. We don't want to see the medical side be diminished in a few years, and that people can uh, who want to enjoy it recreationally can also get their hands on products. So the advocacy, I think, as a business leader, especially in a new industry like this, that we really are building from scratch. Like, let's face it, this has been an industry that's been in the underground for decades. Cannabis has been illegal since 1923. It's been vilified. There's a lot of myths around it. So I think legalizing, it just goes hand in hand with the business side of things. As a business leader, I think it's very important to make sure that you're working with government to ensure that we have the best policies available that work not only in the public health interest, but of course the uh, government is looking to protect, but also that it works well for business. So that's why I think it's just so important that as a CEO that I'm out there working with government because again, they, you know, before this all happened, many government members hadn't even seen a cannabis plant before. So we have to remember that this really came from the underground. We haven't seen anything like this since prohibition of alcohol and none Mm -hmm. of us were really around for that. So it's uh, it's a big deal. And this really is Pandora's box where you see now psilocybin um, becoming decriminalized in some U.S. states. In the, in the in the U.K. and in Europe, they're doing trials on psilocybin and then, um, <clears throat> sorry, MDMA for depression and anxiety. So, and also, as we see worldwide, CBD is opening up around the world, which is the, also the first step towards uh, THC. People even opening. talking about magic mushrooms now. Yeah, exactly. Psilocybin, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's all starting to open up, and it really starts out with this. So I, it's we're not going to go backwards. We're going to continue to see this opening up. We're going to continue, of course, to see more and more countries come forward on the CBD side, because you know, really, that is the the biggest market. It's way bigger than THC. Not everyone will want to go out and get high or necessarily mm-hmm. use that for pain medicine. But they will turn to CBD. CBD has, uh, it doesn't get you high. It doesn't have the psychotrophic properties, but it absolutely has a medicinal benefits. It helps for pain, some people state. Um, it just helps for general well-being. The pet health industry is a multi-billion dollar oh, industry. I didn't even know it was going into pet health. Of wow. course. In the underground, it already has. In the legacy market. So in the U.S., it's already happening. So that's big. I mean, every mammal has the endocannabinoid system in it. So I really see this, uh, you know, dogs, vet health. Um, I was mentioning to somebody I can eventually see how we could see this in horse racing, for example, for wow. joint rejuvenation. Where I mean, right now they give horses, for, I know, one drug called Lasix, and it helps uh, for blood coagulation. What if they can find some amazing uses for this um, to help these animals? Because they're really getting stressed when they're racing. So what if CBD can help with them? What if we see it more, you know, as more trials and, and more research is done in the cosmetic health field, right? I mean, that's a multi, multi-billion dollar industry as well, where people are looking to non-invasive methods to, um, for you know, anti-aging and skin rejuvenation. So can we see CBD mixed in with fillers, say, one day that, you know, a lot of women are turning to, people are turning to? You know, I think it's just endless. And this is the exciting thing about legalization, is that now we're able to research this plant where we were never able to do that before. That's really hindered the development of business. Mm-hmm. So now everything is just catching up. So back to your question about how to balance the advocacy and the being a CEO, I truly, truly say that it has to go hand in hand, and that's the only way we're going to move this forward to true legitimacy. 
Wow, I'm really happy I asked that question because you went full force there. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like to talk sometimes. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. I love it. So with all you being a part of um, the history of the legalization of marijuana, you've seen a lot as discussed, just like the uh, prohibition of um, alcohol. It's mm-hmm. it's a very historical thing. Um, do you think you'd ever write a book about what you've kind of seen? Oh, that's something I've actually never thought about before. Would I? Could I? Yes, absolutely. That would be really interesting. I can't imagine I would do it on my own, though, just like pretty much every project I've done. I've done it in collaboration with people because at the end of the day, I don't know it all. And I really rely on those around me to kind of fill in the gaps. So when I put together the first policy paper in 2015 to actually segregate the licensing, no one had done that and was talking about it in Canada. It was what was happening down in the U.S. And it just made sense from an industry point of view. I mean, pretty much every industry has... uh, segments. So for example, we knew we were in extraction, but we knew we didn't want to be farmers. So like in the wine industry, if you buy your bottle of wine, you don't care or know whether that vineyard is growing their grapes or they have a great agent. So it's the same thing with cannabis. So you just needed to know that you could source really good product. So I had that down, but I also knew I wanted to talk about laboratories and I wanted to have a nursery category and then the licensing distribution. So all of that. So I went to experts across the board, across Canada to help me put together this policy paper with their thoughts. And I kind of organized it all. Same thing when I worked with the Senate, I was asked to help out with um, some information that was coming up from some anti-pro legalization groups out of the US. And I did the same thing. And I went uh, across Canada to about 22 PhDs and organized a paper to present to the summit to the Senate and that was organized in like two and a half weeks so that was quite an undertaking so yeah could I write a book yeah I've seen quite a bit from maybe a dictionary yeah <laughs> and that would have to appendix you know starting from the early days I mean I've been at this for a very, very, very long time. So like I said, I've had a lot of friends who have been in the underground growers, whether they were uh, legal or not, you know, under an MMAR, and many were also operating without one. I've been to dispensaries from back in the day. I'm from Vancouver, so we've had dispensaries very, very early on. Um, One of my closest girlfriends in the space is Hilary Black, and she started uh, Canada's first Compassion Club. So of course, I've been through there. So, you know, along with those advocates who are really, really frontline, I think we've all seen a lot and, and different perspectives on the space so yeah it would be nice to collaborate on something for Great. sure well you know what the cannabis industry and the and everyone here at this at the uh, CSC is lucky to have you as an expert to turn to and ask questions um, and I'm really happy that I got to get to know you more on the CSC podcast um, thank you for coming in today it was really great to be here thanks for having me Grace Hi, it's Grace from the CSC reminding you to make sure to follow us on social media for the latest updates on our listed companies as well as new listing alerts. For more in-depth content, be sure to pick up our free quarterly magazine, Public Entrepreneur, available online at thecsc.com.